Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Anybody ready for 2022 here at Living Hope? If you can stand with me, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Um, and while you're turning there, I do take a moment and honor our pastor this morning. Obviously, today is vision casting, and pastor will share the vision God gave him for 2022 to the body, to the church, but I believe today is going to be an exciting day and God's going to move in a mighty way just to confirm that this is what he wants to do through us, if we're going to let him do it. So tell your neighbor, it's up to us. It's up to us. Amen. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 1. Pastor kind of touched on this as he talked to us a little while ago, but just kind of continuing in that same vein. I don't know if he knew he was going there or not, but it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Anybody want that for you? Amen. Amen. Today we're going to talk about receiving the promise. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? Lord, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for what you're going to do in this house today, Lord. I pray, open up your word to us, God. Challenge us. God, convict us. God, help us to grow closer to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So as I begin this morning, if you guys could help me put on your imagination cap. Go back to when you were a child and had all these crazy dreams that maybe you realize reality is a little bit different. But go back with me. Put yourself in Abram's shoes this morning. And so Abram's day, as we just read about, likely began just like any other day. He woke up, slipped on his robe and slippers, especially at this time of year, and opened the tent flap of his room, probably made him his best cup of Canaan's best coffee, made sure it was extra warm. Maybe some of y'all like it black. I don't drink coffee, so I'm speaking a foreign language that I have nothing that I know about right now. Um, but he likely made himself a cup of coffee, help him get himself started. Maybe on this particular day, he would till the ground. You know, that's kind of sort of what they did back then. They were sort of farmers. Or maybe he would mend the fence or just have a fun day with his family. Um, maybe today he would finally get around to patching up the boards in the barn before the storms blew, blew through. Maybe he would do it because his wife probably told him five or six times, you need to, you need to get that done, um, and you've been, you've been dragging your feet about it. Maybe that was what he was going to do today. But he and his sweetheart, 
Sarai had been living on his father's farm and his father's land for a while at this particular point in time. And the home he was living in was starting to feel more like an actual home. You see, at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, Abram follows his father and his father's household, and they move to a place called Haran. And it's here later on in Haran at the end of chapter 11 where Terah, his father, passes away. And so now he's moved where his father has moved, and now his father is gone. And as one of Terah's sons, the Bible doesn't tell us if Abram, well, I think it does actually later on in Scripture you read it, Abram was likely the firstborn, and so Abram had likely taken up a lot of his father's responsibilities, and now he finds himself as the leader of the family. So imagine with me for a moment during that day, Abram heard a voice speaking to him. He heard a voice. It was probably much deeper than his wife's. It wasn't coming from within, right? It, 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 it wasn't one of his friends or one of his relatives that were calling him. And so as he looked around, no one else seemed to hear this voice, and no one else seemed to be speaking to him. It sounded like it was coming from above, but there was no one else kind of above him. He was, maybe he was in the barn. There was no one else in the barn loft, no one else in the house above him. Who in the world is speaking to him at this point in time? And he hears the voice again. This time, the voice is unmistakable. It is coming from above. And it was coming from God. God spoke to Abram and told him to leave home, leave this country he's living in, leave his father's house. Now that he's sort of in charge of the house, it feels awkward if he were to leave. But God is telling him to leave his father's house, leave his family, leave his farm. And as we're imagining, God is telling him, leave it all behind and start walking where God would lead him to go. The weird part about this is God did not give him turn-by-turn -turn directions. How many like turn-by-turn -turn directions? Anybody? I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But God asked Abram to trust that he would show him where to go, where to walk, where to turn. He was trusting that God would show him where to go. And so my question rhetorically this morning is, how are you with directions? How are you with directions? Husband and wives, please don't look at each other right now. Um, how many of you have ever been in a car that has two drivers? Not one, but two. There may be one person behind the wheel, but two people are going back and forth on where to turn, what to do. Hello, somebody. My wife does not like driving when I'm in the car. Because I do these weird things like, don't you feel the car speeding up? I'm getting pushed in my seat. You don't realize how fast you're going. She's like, I'm not going that fast until I glance over at her. And she's like, oh, she realizes it, right? Hello, somebody. So how are you with directions? Better yet, how good are you at following directions? As I was contemplating or Preparing this morning for this lesson, a whole bunch of stories had hit me from growing up. And one of them was uh, me and my sister, we played basketball together in what was at that time, now I'm old, well, 33, but um, we played park and rec third and fourth grade. And my dad was the coach. My sister is two years younger than me. So 
she was a little bit more advanced than what the bitty ball would be. And my dad kind of had a little bit of a leeway as a coach. So she got to play as a second grader with the third and fourth graders. And it's a co-ed league, right? It's little kids. So I was a fourth grader. I've been in the league. This is my second year, right? I'm not a rookie anymore, right? So the first game of the season, right? We were the Blue Devils. And first game of the season, third quarter, I remember it sort of like it was yesterday. It's a long time ago now. But I grabbed the rebound, and we're pushing the ball up the court. My sister is up ahead of me, wide open, and I hit her with a pass, beautiful pass. Had a nice arc on it and everything. I was like, this is my sister's first game of the season. She's a second grader playing with the bigger kids. This is her chance to score. The ball comes to her, and, and I'm imagining this is her viewpoint, but she's looking back at me as I'm throwing the pass. She gets to a point. And she goes like this. The ball comes to her. She's just watching it. <laughs> and it goes out of bounds. All right? Now, I'm livid, fourth grader. I'm like, Bree, how could you let this happen? You want to know what she said? We have, you know how parents do when you, you have car rides as you're going to, like, Little League games and stuff, and you guys are preparing? We had, a, you know, we had obviously practiced and all that, and we're having this conversation on the way to the game. Bree, you remember what you're supposed to do today. This is your first game. You're playing with the bigger kids. So obviously that conversation comes up in the middle of the game after my sister watches this pass go by her. As little kids argue on the court, it's funny as parents, it feels like the gym just gets quiet. When my kids argue at church or they do anything at church as a parent, I'm like, everybody is knowing what is going on right now. But anyway, my sister watches the ball go over her. And I'm yelling at her on the court, Bree, why didn't you get the ball? She goes, Daddy told me whenever I'm on the court, I stop right here in the middle, right? Like she is just letting me have it on the court. Daddy said right here is where I'm supposed to go. I'm like, Bree, come on now. You get a chance to score. And she literally stopped at the free throw line and watched the ball go by her. But she was good at following directions because that is exactly what my dad told her on the way to the game is Bree, when you get to the free throw line, that's your spot. You hold it down. And she followed her directions very well. But how many of you like to rely when you're following directions? How many of you like to rely on the GPS? Anybody? How many of you use the GPS just all the time? You got to go to Walmart. Let me plug this in. Boop, boop, boop. Your destination, eight minutes away. Some of y'all. I'm a fan of the GPS, mainly for getting me pointed in the right direction. I do like it. Once I get into familiar territory, though, I usually turn it off. But if I'm going somewhere for the first time, then I usually listen to it because it might have some information that I don't know. For example, if there's heavy traffic or if there's congested roads or some weird obstacle in the way, there's a car on the shoulder half a mile ahead, I, I want to know. Then I keep the GPS on so I don't miss something. And I like it when the GPS voice tells me speed camera ahead. Anybody, you like that one, right? Red light camera coming up or ahead. We like that one. Because if I decide to risk it for the biscuit, at that point, it's on me, right? It, it's, I don't have no excuse because it told me. But if I turn it off and later on, you know, two weeks later, I get a bill in the mail that has a, can a, a snapshot of the back of my car and a license plate. I don't want that. 
None of us, we, we don't want that, right? We, we don't want that in the mail. But as we turn it back to this story with Abram, God did not give him turn-by-turn directions when he spoke to him. God just asked Abram to trust him. And so, uh-oh, my notes just died on me. There we go. Woo, technology. So moving on to the promise that God gave to Abraham. God's first command, leave everything behind and follow him. His first command and his first direction to leave everything is also coupled with God's first promise to Abram. In Genesis 12 and 2, we read it. He says, I will make of thee, I will make you a great nation. How many would love to hear the Lord tell you that? One day, Trey, you're going to have a nation. The Henderson, the Henderson flag will fly high one day, right? Can you imagine being in Abram's shoes at this point in time? God tells him, I will make of you a great nation. I can imagine it was probably music to Abram's ears because at that point, he maybe never had a dream that big. He maybe never imagined anything that huge would take place in his life because Abram was just one man. But God was going to multiply Abram's influence to make him into a great nation. And it's one thing to be the mayor of a city or even the governor of a state or province, but to be the figurehead of a nation. And God said that it wouldn't just be an ordinary nation. He said it would be a great nation. That's the highest honor I think Abram could have imagined. No doubt in Abram's mind, this would have to take a sovereign act of God. But as we see in Genesis chapter 12, God is not even finishing loading up this gift table with promises. If you look at the next portion that we read in Genesis 12 chapter 2, and he says, And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now let's stop for a moment and sort of unpack this promise. I count, just simple math, which I like to do. I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven promises here that God is making. We already highlighted the first, that God was going to make Abram a great nation. Next, he tells him that he's going to bless him. And we like the blessing part, right? That's our favorite part. God, bless me. We, we sing songs about it. Bless me, Lord, bless me. We sing songs about it. He says he's going to bless him. And then on top of blessing him, he says that he's going to make his name great. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, Abram, you're going to be a blessing to someone else. How many know when God blesses us, the whole purpose he blesses us for is so that somebody else can be blessed? We're going to touch on that as well today. But not only that, whoever connects themselves to you, Abram, whoever blesses you, God tells them that I'm also going to bless them. How many have people that maybe you don't like? As we get to the next promise, some of us are like, yeah. He says, I'm going to curse them. That curse you, Abram. How many, you know, God said, hey, that person you don't like, every word that they say out of their mouth to you, I'm going to turn it back on them. 
Can you imagine that? Have you ever maybe prayed a prayer like that? God, turn that one right there. They just push that button every time, Jesus. They push it. I need you to intervene. And God tells Abram right away, whoever gets on your bad side, Abram, I got you. I got you covered. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse them. And then finally, every family on earth is going to have the opportunity to be blessed through you, Abram. Now, that's a whole lot of promise, deep, life-changing promises. And as you can imagine, Abram's probably thinking, where was all this coming from? Why were all these promises coming his particular way? And obviously, we can read the Bible and kind of have the end from the beginning in this particular story, but God was looking for a man that he could bless to bless other people. And Abram was the man that God chose. And God's plan from the beginning was to bless Abram so that God could bless others through him. And so we need to understand this morning that God's blessings are not only for us, they're for everyone. Somebody say everyone. They're for the person you like and maybe the person you don't like. They're for your family, for your children. They're for your neighbor. They're for that person at Walmart that maybe took the last item on the shelf right before winter came and you were like, man, telling me there's no more water. Maybe it was for that person, right? I'll be honest with you, I'm selfish. I don't want to say by nature because I don't know if that's true, but I'm a selfish person. My wife has given me a side eye because she probably knows it. Uh, when I go to, to, the, to the store, I usually just get something for me. I don't get something for, for the rest of the family. My wife's like, how come every time I go to the store, I get you something? You don't ever get me something, right? But I, I don't know why I'm made this way or I feel this way. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was second child syndrome. I'm the middle child, so I felt like nothing was ever just mine. I don't, I don't know. There's a whole lot of reasons probably I can go down. But um, culture, thank you, I got an amen corner over here. Um, most of us, sometimes we don't admit it, but we can be selfish. When God blesses us, we don't want to share what he gave us with someone else. Right? We get that job, that raise on the job. And then, you know, someone hits you up and say, hey, can I borrow such and such? Or, you know, seems like that Sunday, the preacher preaches that we need to give more. And we're like, oh, come on, Lord, you just, you just hit me with the why now, right? That seems to be how it always happens. But a lot of times it's just a test. But by nature, I don't want to, I keep using that word by nature. Some of us, I'm going to speak to myself in general, um, we are selfish, and we live in a sort of a selfish culture, a selfish generation. Look out for you and only you. You know, get what you can. Do it your own way or have it your own way. I think that was the motto for, for Burger King for a while. But we were selfish. We like to get fast food. We want it now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to be patient about anything. We just want it our way. And if it's not done our way, we throw a pity party. You know, children throw pity parties all the time, but as adults, we're the same way. We go mope in the corner when everything doesn't happen our way the same way. But when God blesses us, whether it's a service or um, whatever, whatever God blesses us in, it's, it's a service. Even like today, understand that 
when God blesses us, it's not only for us to enjoy in that moment, but it's for, for someone else to be blessed. How many of you know when you come to church, someone is watching you, right? When you go out in the world, someone is watching you. First impressions are sort of a big deal. And if we're selfish, when that person we meet for the first time looks at us, that's just going to, they're going to have that picture in their mind the next time they, they see us. And so it's important, even in church, to understand someone else is watching. If God fills us with the Holy Ghost, which he does, he does it so that we can pour into others and give them a taste of what it's like to live as a Holy Ghost-filled child of God. Just as it would have been wrong for Abram to hoard all of God's blessings for himself and not share them with the world, so too is it with us today. Maybe God gave you that great paying job, not just to have five bedrooms and, or four bathrooms and a three-car garage, but because he wants you to help support a missionary somewhere, or he wants you to be a blessing to his church, to bless the body, to reach those around you. Maybe that's why God has blessed you in the first place. And the truth is God wants to use us to bless others, but it's our response to when he gives us the blessing that makes all the difference. Do we hold it? Do we be selfish with it? Or do we have an open mind and an open hand to help someone else out. We need to keep our ears open to hear God's voice and our hands open to receive God's blessings and our hearts open to share God's goodness. And so I want to talk to us a little bit. In order to receive the promise of God, which is the title of this lesson, we must have two things. Somebody say two things. We must have the right response. And in order to, to have the right response, the two things we need, it's not deep or anything, it's obedience, number one. Write that down, obedience. And the second one is faith. That is the key to receiving the direction that God gives us the right way, but also receiving the promises of God. Two examples in Scripture. First Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Many of us can quote this by heart. But if my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That is the direction of this promise. And as part one of this verse, are you going to obey that? Are you going to humble yourself, seek God's face, pray? That's all the first portion of that. That's the, where the obedience comes in. The second part is where faith comes in. And, and God tells us if we obey the first part, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. How many know as a nation, we need God to heal our land? And it's only going to come when people like you and I obey that first part. When we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek God's face every day, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays, but every day and then turn from our wicked ways, then will we see our land be healed. Amen? The second example I can give to you today is one, we as a church, it's kind of like our banner verse, but Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise, or for the promise, is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A lot of times we overcomplicate this verse, even in the church. You know, we lay hands on people, we pray, and really it's just obedience and faith. You can't will it into anybody. You can't shake it into anybody, right? It all comes down to obedience and faith. If you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, it's going to take obedience to repentance and being baptized in Jesus' name. We have water. What doth hinder thee? Right? And faith that God will do what he said he would do. And as we read, this promise is for everybody. It's not dictated on how much money you make or who your parents are. This promise is for everyone. Amen. All right. So let's look at Abram's obedience and faith. Going back to our text this morning, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I'm going to show you. If you can imagine with me again for a minute. After hearing from the Lord, we talked about it. Abram just heard this voice from above that spoke to him these promises. Here's how it might have played out, all right? Put yourself again in Abram's shoes. Abram hears this voice from God, this promise that he's going to make of him a great nation. And, and he tells him, get thee out from thy country, from thy father's house, all of that. Abram's heard it from the Lord. So Abram heads back home and begins packing his things as quickly as he can. And his wife walks into the tent to find her husband, who he should have been patching up the barn for the sixth time that she told him, right, that morning. That's what he should have been doing. But now she finds him in the tent packing up his bags. And just like in my home, this is how the conversation likely went. She probably said, honey, what are you doing? What's going on in here? And up until this point, it doesn't appear that God has spoken to Sarai like he has spoken to Abram, which later on he does. And so this, this particular point right here must have been an interesting conversation. Abram said, oh, baby, we're leaving. We're, we're rolling out. We're moving. Here, while, while we're at it, can you give me a hand and wrap these dishes, please? Put them in that box. Oh, and grab those new clothes we stored away for the next spring. We're going to need to take those with us, too. And Sarah's probably, or Sarai at this point, is looking puzzled. Where in the world are we going? I thought you liked it here. You're leading, you're leading your father's family. I thought you liked it here. And Abram probably can hardly contain himself. I do like it here, but God spoke to me and told me to leave my country and my father's house and to start walking, and he's going to tell us where to walk. He's going to make me a great nation, sweetheart. He's, he, that's what he said he's going to do. He's going to bless me and make my name great. Can you believe it? People are going to know my name, and he's going to bless me and all the families of the earth through me. Here's my question. How do you persuade your wife that it's a good idea to leave behind what's familiar and comfortable and start walking not knowing where you're going to go. It's bad enough when you're in the car and there's two drivers, right? We just talked about that earlier. How do you convince your wife 
that just because you heard God speak to you, how are you going to convince your wife? What is that conversation going to look like? Husbands, have you ever had a conversation with your wife like that? This is what we're going to do. Are you on board or not? <laughs> Hello? Have y'all ever had that one? <laughs> that would be a very, very hard sell, wouldn't it? Yeah? No amens? It's a little quiet. Now, women, on the other hand, how many of y'all have done that with your husband? Hey, it's quiet. Crickets chirping. Now, I know in my house, if the wife's not happy, nobody's happy. She usually has a lot more power in this situation. This is what I want to do. All right, okay. All right, let's do it. I want to move. That's how, that's how we just moved into our new house. That's how it started. I don't, you said, hold on, like, like, my, like my sister when that basketball came flying, you said in a couple years, we were only going to live here for a couple years, and then we would move. She's laughing over there because she knows it's true, right? But Abram had to convince his wife that he truly heard from the Lord, and somehow he did because his wife said, all right, let's do it. Bless her heart. Bless, bless her heart. We're all blessed because of it, right? But, um, man, it's really hard on this. But let's jump to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. Abram somehow convinced his wife to go. The Bible says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, we read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That's when God gave Abram the direction to go. And then he told him those seven promises of how he was going to bless him and all these things. And here we are, one verse removed from hearing the direction and promises of God, we find Abram making his first Mistake. I can't tell you how long it took for Abram to depart. If any of you guys have ever moved, how many of you know it's not an instant thing, right? Probably took, he probably had to take a while convincing his wife, one. That was, that's a whole other scenario right there. But um, it probably took him some time to depart. The Bible doesn't give us insight into how long it took, but the Bible does tell us he does go. And from what I can gather, Clearly, the words of the Lord are on his mind when he does go, because it says right after Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, he still remembered what God had told him, and he departed. And although Abram fully trusted God at this point, in verse 4, he clearly did not fully obey God. God's command was clear, leave your father's house and your father's family. But Abram had a nephew he wanted to bring along, so we brought along his nephew, Lot. It's funny when you read the Bible and you have the benefit of reading the entire story. But Abram's decision to take Lot with him was not a wise one. If you read the story throughout the next few chapters of Genesis, not long into their walk, as God said he would do, Abram begins to be blessed. His herds and his herdsmen grow. And right alongside him, Lot's herds and his herdsmen grow. 
Lot had lost his father prior to this. So that's why he was following Terah, who was Abram's father. That's why they kind of stayed connected in this particular time. So when Abram leaves, Lot goes with him, and Lot has his own entourage of, of, of herds and, and herdsmen, of, of cattle, of everything that Abram has. Lot already has his own kind of segment of that. And so as Abram begins to be blessed, Lot also begins to be blessed. But then there comes a point in time where the herdsmen start fighting with one another. And so Abram suggests that they split up. He even gave his nephew first choice of the land, and Lot would choose the well-watered plains of Jordan. There was lush green grass and cool, crisp waters in Jordan. So Lot chooses what appears to be good, and Abram has to choose the other path. And so Abram goes to live in the land of Canaan. However, Genesis records the first red flag that Lot may become a liability to Abram's walk of faith. It says that in Genesis 13 and 12, it says, Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and it says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He pitched his tent to where every morning when he woke up, that's what he saw. He saw Sodom. So that was kind of the first kind of viewpoint of where Lot's life would go. But eventually, not only does Lot look at Sodom every day, but eventually Lot moves his family into Sodom. And soon Lot hears the sounds of war as kings from other nations join together to fight the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and a couple others. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah couldn't hold off this enemy that was advancing. And so they, they flee to the mountains and Lot is caught sorry, in the crossfire and captured as a prisoner of war. And so now that Abraham and Lot are sort of separated at this point, Abram feels a responsibility to help his nephew out. And so after Abram hears that Lot has been captured, he marshals an army himself and he goes and rescues Lot. But sadly, Lot still doesn't learn his lesson. In Genesis 19 and 1, we find out the next time we read about Lot, he is once again in sinful Sodom. It says he sat in the gate of Sodom. I read a commentary, a couple, a couple commentaries that said that, so, uh, that Lot, sorry, might have been a leader at this point in time in Sodom. And so now God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, and he sends two angels to rescue Lot for Abraham's or Abram's sake. Lot and his daughters escape with only their lives before God rains down fire and brimstone on those sister cities. That is the last time we hear of Lot. And Abram continues walking. Um, man, next time I am not going to do this. Technology. So Abram continues walking his walk of faith, and now Lot is sort of on his own doing his own thing. But the question is, why do you think Abram brought his nephew Lot with him? since God clearly told him to leave his father's house and family behind. If you were Abram and God gave you this direction and this promise, would you bring your family with you even though God told you not to do so? Would you do that? Why would you do that? Obviously, we have the benefit of doubt of the story. We know the end kind of from the beginning again, but sometimes it's not that easy. When you have family that you love, that you care about, 
and God's telling you to distance yourself from them, and they just want to be with you. How, do you. how do you handle that? Again, I read commentary on why maybe Abraham took, took Lot, why he partially obeyed this, this promise. But again, Lot lost his father, Abram's brother. So as Abram becomes the patriarch of the family now after losing his father, he feels a responsibility to take care of those family members under him, which would now include his nephew. Maybe Lot looked up to Abram because he saw qualities in him as maybe a father figure would, would as a son, would look up to his father. Maybe that's why he took him. Who, who knows the, the complete story of why he took him? But commentaries agree Abraham felt responsible for Lot in a lot of ways. And the truth of the matter is God does not grade obedience on a curve. Partial obedience is still disobedience. God is not impressed when we are 99% obedient to him and 1% disobedient. Somebody write this particular part, this three words down. Disobedience is costly. Disobedience is costly, especially in the kingdom of God. Because whether we make it into those gates or not is going to be dependent upon whether we obeyed or we disobeyed. And again, 99% obeying and 1% disobeying is still disobedience. Now, look, God kept all the promises he made to Abram, but Abram ended up fighting battles he was not supposed to encounter. Twice he had to interfere in this story on Lot's behalf. Once he had to marshal an army to save him, and the other time he prayed to God to save Lot's life before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And the truth is, God knew that Lot would not be like Abram. And if Abram had obeyed God fully, he would have avoided unnecessary battles and heartache during this particular time. And we too must obey God completely. The Bible is filled with eulogies of men and women who obeyed God partially, but paid a high price because they ended up fighting battles they were not supposed to fight. I want to help someone this morning that may be facing an uphill struggle like Abram. God is not an erratic God. He doesn't bark orders just to watch us sweat. That's not why God gives us direction. As a good father, he knows what is best for us because only he knows what's ahead of us. I say this because I know and I have lived this truth out in my own life. Disobedience, even partially, has cost me some things. It's cost me hurt. I've been hurt because I didn't obey the Lord. I've had heartache, had to fight battles that I was like, God, why in the world is this happening to me? The whole time, it's because I was holding on to something God told me to let go. I've had to give up my peace because I held on to things that God was trying to release me from the whole time. And here I am wondering why I'm fighting these battles in my life, why I am not having peace when I should be having peace. Have you ever seen someone else have peace and you're like, man, what in the world do they have that I don't have? And maybe you're just fighting a battle. God never intended you to fight, all because of disobedience. I think it was Pastor or Brother Rima Duncan was here preaching to us one time, and he was talking about, I think Pastor, you even touched on it, about trouble, how we look at trouble. 
You know, we look at it through our own carnal eyes because we can only see what's happening at this level. And so we pray to God, God, would you take away this heartache that I'm going through? Would you take away the struggle that I'm facing? And obviously, we probably put ourselves there in our own way through, through disobedience, as I'm talking about here. But God is able to snap his fingers and take that thing away. But what we don't realize is God is at a different dimension than us. He sees 20 steps ahead of us. And if God were to pull us out of the heartache that we're in now, then later on that blessing that he would have for us wouldn't be there because maybe we wouldn't have learned the lesson that he meant for us to learn right now. And so as we talk about obedience, when God speaks to you next time, and he will, just like God spoke to Abram again, obey him completely. You know, we may not be like Abram and hear the audible voice of God. And if you do, then God bless you. I would love to hear that. Or maybe God would send an angel to you, right, and speak to you. But God does speak to us, speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the man of God, the preacher, our pastor. Maybe he speaks to you through a song. And he also speaks to us in prayer. God is speaking to people who are listening. The question is, are you listening? Are you obeying? When he speaks, we have to listen and we have to obey. So that was part one to receiving the promise. The second part we need with obedience is faith. And so God eventually does speak to Abram again, and he reminds Abram of the promise he made to him. If you look into it, it takes 24 years from the first time God speaks to Abram to the second time God speaks to Abram. But this time that God speaks to him, God gives Abram or Abraham a gift. Long before sonograms and ultrasounds, God told Abram they would have a son and even told him when they would have it. And before they knew it, Sarah was starting to show and Abram went to work on his diaper changing techniques. Every dad needs that. Sarah sews another blue blanket to replace the one they lost years earlier, 24 years before when God told them, that they would bless him. Just as God promised and when God promised, Abram and Sarah found themselves sitting in their tent holding their baby boy named Isaac. They received God's promise by faith because it's true, our God is faithful and he always keeps his promises. But let's talk about faith a little bit. It is sort of a tricky tightrope, especially for us as children of God. We can fall off this tightrope of faith on two sides. Sometimes people confuse on one side faith. They confuse it with laziness. God makes them a promise and they do nothing. Thinking God will do everything. How many know that's not faith? Faith without works is, is dead. They do nothing. And they call it waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord. But the truth is God is waiting on them to do what they can until they get to a point where he will do what they cannot do. If God promised he's going to save your family, don't just wait for him to do what he said he would do. We have to do what we can do. Start praying for your family. Right. 
Share your testimony of God's goodness with your family. You won't believe what God did for me yesterday. He woke me up in the morning, started me on my way. We used to, that's the old time right there. But it's true. Everybody don't get another chance in the morning, right? Then watch, after you've done all that, watch God do what you can't do. And that is true. We can't save people. God can only save them. But on this particular point, laziness, Abram didn't have this problem. Abram fell off the tightrope on the other side. He wasn't lazy. He tried to help speed God's process along. Eleven years after God first spoke to Abram, Abram felt like he had waited long enough. Eleven years. That's a long time. That is a long time. Right? Eleven years. He had waited a decade plus one. So, after being tired of waiting, he sired a son through his wife's servant, Hagar. But that was never God's intention. Because, again, we're supposed to do what only we can do. We're not supposed to step over the line and take it into our own hands. No, no. God will do what he says he would do. As far as Abram knew, he and Sarah were supposed to have a bouncing baby boy, but he stepped off the tightrope of faith, and he had a son with another woman. Ishmael was his name, and Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. Isaac, the true promise, is the father of the Jewish nations. Because of Abram's disobedience, because he didn't listen, because he tried to speed God's process along, both families are still fighting to this day, 4,000 years later. Isn't that something? Disobedience is costly. It is costly. Abram didn't have the benefit of the Bible, but we do. We have the highlight reel of God's faithfulness and power. We see our God open seas. He shuts lion's mouth. He dances in the fire with the three Hebrew boys. He touches lepers. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners and he makes the lame walk. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14 says this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Ask your neighbor, is anything too hard for the Lord? That is the question God asked Abraham. And it is the question he asked us this morning. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Stand with me as I get ready to close this morning. Once again, reading Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That was God's promise to Abram. But 25 years later, He's still holding on to the promise God made him a quarter century earlier. Again, we have the benefit of the Bible, but it takes nine chapters in Genesis to fill the space between the time God made his promise and the time that he performed it, 25 years. How many are older than 25 in here? 
any older than 50 in here. Can you imagine waiting 25 years, waiting another 25 years, another 25 years, and God told you he would do something? Can you imagine waiting that long? But just as sure as God kept the promise he made to Abram by faith, God will still keep every promise that he makes to us. If God has ever made you a promise, raise your hand. God ever made, hold your hand, keep your hand up for me. God ever made you a promise. I read a few promises from the word of God today. Those promises still apply to us, right? So keep your hand up for me. Little, little, little demonstration here this morning. If you're still waiting on God to perform that promise, would you keep your hand in the air? Wow. If God has promised you something, all you need to do is what God told Abram to do. You can put your hands down now. Walk before the Lord and trust him. You need to obey him and have faith that he will do what he said he will do. Here's the hard part to swallow as we had our hands lifted. God will not apologize for his promise, but he will perform his promise. For the scripture says in 1 Kings 8 and 56, there has not failed one word of all his good promise. We need to remember the probing question God asked Abraham to answer. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you think that promise you're waiting on is still maybe too hard for the Lord? It's too hard for us, right? But is it too hard for the Lord? Ask God to let you know if there's anything you should be doing. While you wait, are you being lazy about it? I'm waiting on God. That's why. No one wants to wait 25 years like Abram, right? That's a long time to wait. But we don't want to be disobedient like Abram and try to do it on our own. Have you ever tried that? I'll be honest and say I have. And guess what? I had to face heartache and loss of peace and loss of a whole lot of things. I had to deal with hurt. Because I tried to speed God along when the whole time I just had to continue to wait faithfully, not lazily. It's easy to forget how faithful our God is. Whether we are listening to monitors or machines in the hospital or we're pouring over our bills at home or we're sitting in front, you know, at the front row of a funeral. At these times, we can remember God's promise and how long we've had to wait. And really, even in prayer, you can ask God, is there anything too hard for you, God? Because it's too hard for me, but I'm trusting in you, God, because I know nothing is too hard for you. And if we'll have obedience and faith, we'll find out what Abram found out, and that is what God has promised he is always and he will faithfully perform. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.